This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So it used to be that um, we had to we, we had to talk about how agile and UX could work together, and we've run entire conferences on how agile and UX can work together. And uh, I think it's neat that we've gotten to a position where you, we can talk about Agile UX <laughs> and now we're going to go Agile UX and how to make it work in well, big, we'll difficult we enterprises. So this is Dave. Uh, he's from Isobar and that's what he's going to be talking about today. Thanks. Thank you. So um, thanks for coming. Today, as Donna said, we'll be talking about Agile UX and engaging with enterprises. Before we get started, can I just get a show of hands? Who's currently working or has recently worked within an Agile team? Good. Um, so uh, as with most things, there's a lot of vernacular and a lot of terminology gets used in Agile. So everyone works differently. So let's see how this goes and how many things get thrown at me. So uh, as Donna said, my name's Dave. I'm currently an experience design lead at Isobar here in Melbourne, um, and I'm also working as the lead on all of the Jetstar digital projects um, that we have as an agency, and that's where you can find myself and Isobar on Twitter. So today we're going to be talking about a um, process that we use that's called the UX design spike. Um, there's a lot of uh, similar processes out in the wild, but this is our version of the design spike. Um, and how it's really helped us improve our ability to perform UX and user-centered design work on these projects whilst engaging with a huge organization that isn't primarily, uh, primarily agile. Um, so it's a process that we've gotten from experience working on multiple and simultaneous agile teams. Um, it's really something that we created to help facilitate better user-centered user design outcomes um, and really ease stakeholder engagement. Um, and hopefully we'll look today and see why we needed this process, what it is, and exactly how it's helped us. And uh, it's obviously called the design spike. But firstly, where are we using it? So as I said, multiple agile teams. We run four as a baseline on various projects that we've got which are long-term, and then we, um, we ramp up projects on a need-by-needs basis um, to get to particular outcomes. We have about 10 people per team. And across those teams, we have eight UX and UI designers um, working within those teams and then ramp up as required. That manifests at the moment in about 20 websites in seven languages across iOS, Android, and web. Um, and most importantly, really, in terms of engaging, it's a multilingual engagement. Um, we've got people uh, both in Melbourne, Singapore, China, all kinds of people that we need to engage with and make sure these products get created properly. So what's this process designed to do? Um, it's really designed to allow us to engage with a really broad set of stakeholders, many of which aren't working in an agile way right now. It's allowing us to engage with subject matter experts in periods of time where we can't necessarily identify when and how we'll need to engage with them, and they're um, very commonly outside of the core project teams. It's for solving design problems which don't fit within the way that we run our sprints. It's to have a place where chunky testing and research can exist because that's not really something that was considered as part of um, pure Agile or Scrum. People are going to throw things at me now. And it's really to provide an engagement model between teams, these teams that are both Agile and non-Agile. But firstly, who's it for? 
This isn't about preaching, about saying we need to move everyone to Agile as quickly as humanly possible. That might be a goal. It might be something that you want to move towards. It might be something that the enterprise you're working with really wants to do, but it's not something that you can do right now. It's about being pragmatic and saying, here you are working in an Agile team. You've got to do this. You've got to engage with these people who, for better or worse, aren't Agile right now. How do we go about doing that? It's a whole other talk about getting a process for how you can and if you should move them to Agile. So why a new process? Well, we needed something that really coexisted and allowed us to educate. We, as we worked on um, these projects, we uncovered a really clear need to have a user-centered design process that was able to live alongside the way we were doing Agile development right now because in a lot of ways that's working really, really well. So we didn't want to disturb that. We needed something to work alongside that and allow us to do these engagements properly. We wanted a process that enabled, uh, enabled us to work on things that stretched below what we run as usually two to three week sprints and to help those that are not used to this iterative way of working to be able to have input and really critical engagements with us. And we wanted a way to gradually introduce the iterative ways of working to these organisations without sort of stopping and educating. We wanted to be able to do that in situ. Um, we also needed a really clear way to be able to uh, get their input and distill that information um, in, a, in a often short period of time because a lot of these people that are not, not part of the team, they've got to go back to their day jobs, so we get them for bits of, and we'll go into this in more detail, but we get them for bits and pieces of time. We need to be able to get as much, juice them ugh, as much as possible. So it's also not practical to take certain business units and move them to being agile. You can... We can argue about that later if you like, but um, I'd like to see an argument for taking air cabin crew and making them agile somehow, but obviously really critical to the way that we work. Um, you know, doing a lot of uh, airline digital products, we can't really say to the air cabin crew, well, you need to understand iterative design principles um, and doing the least amount of work when they're trying to get shit done in the air. We also need to really reduce interruptions as much as possible. So as I touched on, we don't want to... Re Thank you. Spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> so we didn't want to... Um, the, the Agile teams are working really well. Um, the, the, these, these, um, these guys and girls are punching out really awesome work. The POs are getting shit done. There's lots of really great stuff happening. So it's extra things that we wanted to do. We did, there wasn't a critical problem with the way that this other work was being done. So we wanted to ensure the least amount of delays or changes to these existing, what we consider to be good sprint processes... Which, and the way that things worked. We were delivering a lot of value. Good things were happening. So we just needed something to be the connective tissue between the stuff that was working really well and the people and the parts of the business that we needed to engage with. So we know what we wanted, we know what we wanted to do, so there was obviously a lot of challenges in getting this done. The first one was accessing the right people at the right time. So gaining access to those people who are outside the core project team. You know, it's not my job to be doing this design work. I'm not part of this team, but we've identified that you need to be part of this process because you work on baggage. So we obviously deal a lot with baggage. So these people aren't part of the core Agile team, but if we want to make a good baggage product or make a good um, uh, present that in an awesome way, we need to engage with these people, but we didn't necessarily know when in the project or at what time, or it might come up suddenly based on... Um, customer feedback. So gaining access to those people was a real challenge at times. Uh, it might be because physically they're far away on a different time zone or it might be because they're really fucking busy. Time getting the required state, finding um, the opportunities to actually engage with them once they, they might say, yep, I can understand the purpose for this needing to be engaged with, but actually getting the time um, and establishing trust in the process um, and, and 
making sure that they understood how and why it was going to work and educating them on, these, um, on the reasons for doing this, which leads me to once we've, got, once we've got them, actually getting in front of them and educating them on the processes. So it's really important to understand, I touched on the fact that these people aren't used to working in an iterative way. There's a lot of stuff that I think we take for granted a lot of the time. We understand why we need to speak to people. We understand why we need to work in this particular way. They do not, they do not understand why this needs to happen. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they've got to focus on delivering this thing and delivering that thing, and that's what they're trying to do. Um, so don't take for granted the basics when you're engaging. Many of these stakeholders are really new to those processes, so convincing and educating them on the whys and the hows without actually stopping was a really, imp which, a really important um, aspect. Um, and the two, the two most important things in educating was sort of convincing them that progress over perfection right now was, like, that's, a, that's something they're going to um, struggle to deal with, which is, like, that pixel-perfect design principle that they, they, they think that that's the, what they should be getting delivered, So because they've got... They've got to sign off these things. They've got to report to somebody else. Why did you approve this thing? You were engaged with it. You're our representative. Why did this get approved? Trying to educate them on the fact that it's actually more risky to deliver that now before we know everything and delivering less now, progress moving forward is great. So some principles in terms of how we engage with these people. Not a shocker. The least amount of work required to give them the trust and get the approval to what's needed to move forward. Build confidence in the progress. If, we, if they've taken the time out of, um, uh, not, uh, out of their day jobs, engage with them as early as possible and report back as quickly as possible so they, under, they think that they haven't wasted the time engaging with us. And this is my most important one and I think my biggest learning um, about working with this, this particular organisation is arm um, your fucking product owners. Get them the information they need when you're not in the room. They're not normally designed. They might be and that's, that's awesome but they're not normally design professionals. What, imagine, have the empathy, that's what we're supposed to do, have the empathy for when they're going to be in the room and there's a CEO of some business unit in that room demanding answers. What are they going to have? What, you, what artifacts are they going to have? What are we going to provide them with so that they can justify what we justified to them being the right course of action? So that leads us to this process, and I will go into more detail so don't freak out when I move to the next slide. But this is our design spike. As I said, it's a simultaneous and it's a symbiotic process for um, creating these artefacts. It doesn't change any of the underlying sprint processes which are happening down there. That's whatever your sprint is, that's fantastic. This sits over the top of it. And in our situation, because we've got quite large teams, we've got sort of a dedicated spike team which goes and runs all these projects on, in the various situations. But we can and do also run these spikes with the existing sprint teams. So a sprint team of one group of people happily run this way. And we were running it on previous projects individually with smaller teams. So in order to actually be able to work on a spike, you probably need to define what it is. In our case, a design spike is investigation of a major new features, say making a new seat selection pattern that's fully accessible, ideas for improvements without a known solution, really big thinking, and this is where we put our research and testing. So it's not um, often done, like little bits and pieces, that's great, you can do that in sprint, but this is like a really big opportunity, a place to put that, articulate it, this is where effort's going, you can communicate that to someone who's four levels up in the organisation and say, this is where it's happening. Which leads us to, what is a design spike not? It's a small or medium task in which there's a known solution that might be updating 
a new form to accept a new payment method, which from a UX and UI perspective, if we've got established patterns for that form, then it's probably fairly perfunctory and, and straightforward. There might be shitloads happening in the back end with a new payment system, but from, from our point of view, it's probably fairly straightforward. A task which directly supports or has dependencies for something, some development work in the current sprint, and any BAU tasks, any business as usual tasks which just need to get done straight now, so small stuff. So in order to know what to work on, we've got to guide the backlog, or what we call guiding the backlog. That takes place at this point in the process, right at the start. And this is a really awesome part of the process because it's where we provide opportunities for people outside the sprint or project team to influence the direction and the priorities of what's being worked on with, from, by the UX, UX and UI team in particular. And that can either be a direct, you might have a form somewhere, or you might just say, approach the UX and UI team whenever you want with suggestions, and they can know it can go in somewhere. Don't underestimate how awesome, like the, the awesome power of this in providing stakeholders outside of the team a direct access to being able to influence this product. Nobody in the room questions having a feedback point on the website. This is the internal version of that. This also helps remove the why is my thing not being worked on. You've got huge organisations who want to work, who, who are being represented by the website or the app or whatever it is, who are all coming down to this is the customer view of, of their service, their product, their micro product within your existing service. So they, can under, they might not agree with why other things are being worked on, but they can at least have the understanding of what is being done and, and be able to have a conversation about that. Um, so then you move on to actually spiking it which is the meat of the process, obviously. So this is our version of the spike, and it's always used to iterate to the point of hopefully getting the things out of the spike as possible and into tickets as quickly as possible. So at each, every time we pick up a spike, we clearly define and agree on what the next output are. We don't, we're not projecting forward, not saying eventually this might need to be a prototype, eventually this might need to be this thing. It's right now, in order to take this concept or this problem to solve, what is the very next artifact that we need to deliver to hopefully get trust, understanding and viability in this so that it can be worked on by the sprint team. You want to get it out as quickly as possible. But it's time boxed, so we time box everything. Unlike estimations, which is traditionally happening, we're time boxing each of these artifacts so that we can we, we then review and then repeat as required. What is the actual work that's being done? It's literally anything that, anything that you can think of that we'd throw into that UCD bucket, but never more than is required to move forward. So you might say, fuck, it'd be really awesome to have this really cool prototype so that we can test that, but if a flow, if a really basic sketch flow was enough to generate the buy-in from that particular business unit, that's what we do for right now, and then the sprint team can worry about building and building and building. Um, as, I, as I touched on and keep bringing this up, is that it also includes any, um, any specific research or um, testing we do, whether that be at the airport in our case or user testing or whatever it is. Um, if, that, if the deliverable itself is a report or a piece of research, that also is considered a spike for our purposes, which gives it a really nice um, framework for conducting these kinds of works. Once you've actually worked on the spikes and you've got an outcome, then we start delivering those, hopefully, into tickets in stream. If they're all ready and we, we review these artefacts as a team and they're ready, then a spike should allow that to have a clear concept, solution or approach so that the tickets can be adequately worked on by the team with uh, reducing the unknowns as much as possible. So really all you're doing is saying, taking that, taking that piece of thing, working on it, providing that solution or approach so that it can be worked on in sprint straight away. However, you don't usually get acceptance on or approval on all things straight away. 
that's an absolutely fine part of the process. You take whatever is remaining and you proceed with the workable tickets and you keep iterating on any unanswered aspects of that spike and continue until you've either been able to adequately answer those questions or the remaining parts are either deprioritized or um, decide or deprecated entirely. You might find that one aspect of it isn't worth the effort anymore. Great. You know it's not worth doing. So how did that how does this process help us? Well, in the case of non-agile teams, for these people it was a really clear way of being able to influence the black the backlog and the direction of these products, which was something that was missing. Uh, that was sure unofficially there, but this was now that you had a tangible place to be able to do this. It reduced that shock on delivery aspect that can take place in sprint reviews and things like that. It provided a much more clear um, place for that to be able to happen. It allowed us to create a lot more ownership amongst these other business, uh, other parts of the business that aren't used to working that way. Um, it required no time on their part to learn new processes. It was completely guided by us. They didn't need to know anything except their domain knowledge, all the stuff they already knew. And it also had the added benefit, which was really nice, of reducing that mysticism around how agile teams work. It allowed them to get a little bit closer to it and work without actually bringing them into the team and having any formal responsibilities, because the formal responsibilities were already handed by the, the spike or the sprint team. In terms of the agile team, this gave us the opportunity to have a place where we could ha keep having a big picture view without having to stop the sprint. One of the big differences between our sprint and the sort of formalised sprint that you'll probably find out on... Google is that um, those spikes actually stop. They go in between sprints, and ours are happening over the top, which was a really important part of the process. We're not stopping value being delivered by the sprint team. Um, it really helped with um, having our tickets being in sprint estimated far more accurately. Um, it significantly reduced the, the amount of unknowns that were being discovered by the UX and UI and, and certainly the dev teams during the sprints. It helped decrease a lot of the volatility around um, reporting timing of deliverables to other parts of the businesses. Um, it allowed for far more empathy on the greater team about why and how a, a feature, what the value is of that feature, either to the user or the business. And it um, really, really importantly is, um, as I'm sure most of you are dealing with, is that providing reasoning behind uh, or a place for user testing to happen because you, you get into a sprint planning session, you're like, okay, well, in order to do this, we really want to test this new feature. That user testing session is going to take two days out of this week to do all the work. It's going to take a day to do the report, and then we're going to have to go through the time. That's, that's time that's taken out of velocity, right? It's, it's hard to have that conversation with your PO. It's hard for that PO to then go back to the business and say, we're delivering 30, 30 points less this week. I'm making numbers up here. We're delivering 30 points less this week because we have to do some testing. We know the value of that, but actually articulating that and actually being able to defend that value being lost, that delivery of value being lost, it's a hard conversation for people who are four, four degrees of separation out of your sprint team. So looking back, what have we learned? We've been having this process in place across all these teams for about 12 to 18 months. Simply the act of defining what was spike work and what was not spike work had a really positive impact being able to say that work should be, shouldn't be done there, but that work should be done here. Before it was like, well, we shouldn't be doing that work in sprint, but there's nowhere else to bloody do it, so we're just going to force it in, and it wasn't working well. It's working a lot better now. It's critical to have a framework for these larger design pieces which don't really fit neatly into a sprint period. And this allowed us to do this, especially um, when we're dealing with multiple touch points. We're not dealing with just the website or just the app. We're dealing with multiple different digital products. So we're able to take a step back, 
and have that framework for doing these really large design pieces, especially when they might impact multiple things. It really improved our ability, our ability to be able to engage with these stakeholders and bring them as cl bring them closer to the project for periods of time and really get some understanding from them both ways. And finally, it's now really considered a core part of how we do Agile. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.
So it used to be that um, we had to we, we had to talk about how agile and UX could work together, and we've run entire conferences on how agile and UX can work together. And uh, I think it's neat that we've gotten to a position where you, we can talk about agile UX, <laughs> and now we're going to go agile UX and how to make it work in well, big well, difficult we enterprises. So this is Dave. Uh, he's from Isabar, and that's what he's going to be talking about today. Thanks. Thank you. So um, thanks for coming. Today, as Donna said, we'll be talking about Agile UX and engaging with enterprises. Before we get started, can I just get a show of hands? Who's currently working or has recently worked within an Agile team? Good. Um, so uh, as with most things, there's a lot of vernacular and a lot of terminology gets used in Agile, so everyone works differently, so let's see how this goes and how many things get thrown at me. So uh, as Donna said, my name's Dave. I'm currently an experienced design lead at Isobar here in Melbourne, um, and I'm also working as the lead on all of the Jetstar digital projects um, that we have as an agency, and that's where you can find myself and Isobar on Twitter. So today we're going to be talking about a um, process that we use that's called the UX design spike. Um, there's a lot of uh, similar processes out in the wild, but this is our version of the design spike um, and how it's really helped us improve our ability to perform UX and user-centered design work on these projects whilst engaging with a huge organisation that isn't primarily, uh, primarily agile. Um, so... It's a process that we've gotten from experience working on multiple and simultaneous Agile teams. Um, it's really something that we created to help facilitate better user-centered design outcomes um, and really ease stakeholder engagement. Um, and hopefully we'll look today and see why we needed this process, what it is, and exactly how it's helped us. And uh, it's obviously called the design spike. But firstly, where are we using it? So as I said, multiple Agile teams. We run four as a baseline on various projects that we've got which are long-term and then we, um, we ramp up projects on a need-by-needs basis um, to get to particular outcomes. We have about 10 people per team and across those teams we have eight UX and UI designers um, working within those teams and then ramp up as required. That manifests at the moment in about 20 websites in seven languages across iOS, Android and web. Um, and most importantly, really, in terms of engaging, it's a multilingual engagement. Um, we've got people uh, both in Melbourne, Singapore, China, all kinds of people that went to engage with and make sure these products get created properly. So what's this process designed to do? Um, it's really designed to allow us to engage with a really broad set of stakeholders, many of which aren't working in an agile way right now. It's allowing us to engage with subject matter experts in periods of time where we can't necessarily identify when and how we'll need to engage with them, and they're um, very commonly outside of the core project teams. It's for solving design problems which don't fit within the way that we run our sprints. It's to have a place where chunky testing and research can exist, because that's not really something that was considered as part of um, pure Agile or Scrum. People are going to throw things at me now. And it's really to provide an engagement model between teams, these teams that are both agile and non-agile. But firstly, who's it for? This isn't about preaching, about saying we need to move everyone to agile as quickly as humanly possible. 
that might be a goal, it might be something that you want to move towards, it might be something that the enterprise you're working with really wants to do, but it's not something that you can do right now. It's about being pragmatic and saying, here you are working in an agile team, you've got to do this, you've got to engage with these people who for better or worse aren't agile right now. How do we go about doing that? It's a whole other talk about getting a process for how you can and if you should move them to be agile. So why a new process? Well, we needed something that really coexisted and allowed us to educate. We, as we worked on um, these projects, we uncovered a really clear need to have a user-centered design process that was able to live alongside the way we were doing agile development right now, because in a lot of ways, that's working really, really well. So we didn't want to disturb that. We needed something to work alongside that and allow us to do these engagements properly. We wanted a process that enabled, uh, enabled us to work on things that stretched below what we run as usually two to three week sprints and to help those that are not used to this iterative way of working to be able to have input and really critical engagements with us. And we wanted a way to gradually introduce the iterative ways of working to these organisations without sort of stopping and educating. We wanted to be able to do that in situ. Um, we also needed a really clear way to be able to uh, get their input and distill that information um, in, a, in a often short period of time because a lot of these people that are not, not part of the team, they've got to go back to their day jobs, so we get them for bits of, and we'll go into this in more detail, but we get them for bits and pieces of time. We need to be able to get as much, juice them ugh, as much as possible. So it's also not practical to take certain business units and move them to being agile. You can, we can argue about that later if you like, but um, I'd like to see an argument for taking air cabin crew and making them agile somehow but obviously really critical to the way that we work. Um, you know, doing a lot of uh, airline digital products, we can't really say to the air cabin crew, well, you need to understand iterative design principles um, and doing the least amount of work when they're trying to get shit done in the air. We also need to really reduce interruptions as much as possible. So as I touched on, we don't want to... Thank you. Spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> So we didn't want to, um, yeah, the Agile teams are working really well. Um, the, the, these, these, um, these guys and girls are punching out really awesome work. The POs are getting shit done. There's lots of really great stuff happening. So it's extra things that we wanted to do. We did, there wasn't a critical problem with the way that this other work was being done. So we wanted to ensure the least amount of delays or changes to these existing, what we consider to be good sprint processes, which, and the way that things worked. We were delivering a lot of value. Good things were happening. So we just needed something to be the connective tissue between the stuff that was working really well and the people and the parts of the business that we needed to engage with. So we know what we wanted, we know what we wanted to do, so there was obviously a lot of challenges in getting this done. The first one was accessing the right people at the right time. So gaining access to those people who are outside the core project team. You know, it's not my job to be doing this design work, I'm not part of this team, but we've identified that you need to be part of this process because you work on baggage. So we obviously deal a lot with baggage. So these people aren't part of the core Agile team, but if we want to make a good baggage product or make a good, um, uh, present that in an awesome way, we need to engage with these people, but we didn't necessarily know when in the project or at what time or it might come up suddenly based on um, customer feedback. So gaining access to those people was a real challenge at times. It might be because physically they're far away on a different time zone or it might be because they're really fucking busy. Time getting the required state, finding um, the opportunities to actually engage with them once they, they might say, yep, well, I can understand the purpose for this needing to be engaged with, but actually getting the time. Um, and establishing trust in the process um, and, and 
making sure that they understood how and why it was going to work, and educating them on these um, on the reasons for doing this. Which leads me to once we've got once we've got them, actually getting in front of them and educating them on the processes. So it's really important to understand. I touched on the fact that these people aren't used to working in an iterative way. There's a lot of stuff that I think we take for granted a lot of the time. We understand why we need to speak to people. We understand why we need to work in this particular way. They do not, they do not understand why this needs to happen. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they've got to focus on delivering this thing and delivering that thing, and that's what they're trying to do. Um, so don't take for granted the basics when you're engaging. Many of these stakeholders are really new to those processes, so convincing and educating them on the whys and the hows without actually stopping was a really, which a really important um, aspect. Um, and the two, the two most important things in educating was sort of convincing them that progress over perfection right now was like that's a that's something they're going to um, struggle to deal with, which is like that pixel perfect design principle that they 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 think that that's what they should be getting delivered. So because they've got they've got to sign off these things. They've got to report to somebody else. Why did you approve this thing? You were engaged with it. You're our representative. Why did this get approved? Trying to educate them on the fact that it's actually more risky to deliver that now before we know everything and delivering less now, progress moving forward is great. So some principles in terms of how we engage with these people. Not a shocker. The least amount of work required to give them the trust and get the approval to what's needed to move forward. Build confidence in the progress. If, we, if they've taken the time out of, um, uh, not, uh, out of their day jobs, engage with them as early as possible and report back as quickly as possible so they, under, they think that they haven't wasted the time engaging with us. And this is my most important one and I think my biggest learning um, about working with this, this particular organisation is um, your fucking product owners. Get them the information they need when you're not in the room. They're not normally designed. They might be, and that's, that's awesome, but they're not normally designed professionals. What, imagine, have the empathy, that's what we're supposed to do, have the empathy for when they're going to be in the room and there's a CEO of some business unit in that room demanding answers. What are they going to have? What, you, what artifacts are they going to have? What are we going to provide them with so that they can justify what we justified to them being the right course of action? So that leads us to this process. And I will go into more detail so I don't freak out when I move to the next slide. But this is our design spike. As I said, it's a simultaneous and it's a symbiotic process for um, creating these artifacts. It doesn't change any of the underlying sprint processes which are happening down there. That's whatever your sprint is, that's fantastic. This sits over the top of it. And in our situation, because we've got quite large teams, we've got sort of a dedicated spike team which goes and runs all these projects on, in the various situations, but we can and do also run these spikes with the existing sprint teams. So a sprint team of one group of people happily run this way, and we were running it on previous projects individually with smaller teams. So in order to actually be able to work on a spike, you probably need to define what it is. In our case, a design spike is... Investigation of a major new features, say making a new seat selection pattern that's fully accessible. Ideas for improvements without a known solution. Really big thinking, and this is where we put our research and testing. So it's not um, often done, like little bits and pieces, that's great, you can do that in sprint, but this is like a really big opportunity, a place to put that, articulate it, this is where effort's going, you can communicate that to someone who's four levels up in the organisation and say, this is where it's happening. Which leads us to, what is a design spike not? It's a small or medium task in which there's a known solution that might be updating 
a new form to accept a new payment method, which from a UX and UI perspective, if we've got established patterns for that form, then it's probably fairly perfunctory and, and straightforward. There might be shitloads happening in the back end with a new payment system, but from, from our point of view, it's probably fairly straightforward. A task which directly supports or has dependencies for something, some development work in the current sprint, and any BAU tasks, any business as usual tasks which just need to get done straight now, so small stuff. So in order to know what to work on, we've got to guide the backlog, or what we call guiding the backlog. That takes place at this point in the process, right at the start. And this is a really awesome part of the process because it's where we provide opportunities for people outside the sprint or project team to influence the direction and the priorities of what's being worked on with, from, by the UX, UX and UI team in particular. And that can either be a direct, you might have a form somewhere, or you might just say, approach the UX and UI team whenever you want with suggestions, and they can know it can go in somewhere. Don't underestimate how awesome, like the, the awesome power of this in providing stakeholders outside of the team a direct access to being able to influence this product. Nobody in the room questions having a feedback form on the website. This is the internal version of that. This also helps remove the why is my thing not being worked on. You've got huge organisations who want to work, who, who are being represented by the website or the app or whatever it is, who are all coming down to this is the customer view of, of their service, their product, their micro product within your existing service. So they, can they might not agree with why other things are being worked on, but they can at least have the understanding of what is being done and, and be able to have a conversation about that. Um, so then you move on to actually spiking it which is the meat of the process, obviously. So this is our version of the spike, and it's always used to iterate to the point of hopefully getting the things out of the spike as possible and into tickets as quickly as possible. So at each, every time we pick up a spike, we clearly define and agree on what the next output are. We don't, we're not projecting forward, we're not saying eventually this might need to be a prototype, eventually this might need to be this thing. It's right now, in order to take this concept or this problem to solve, what is the very next artefact that we need to deliver to hopefully get trust, understanding and viability in this so that it can be worked on by the sprint team. You want to get it out as quickly as possible. But it's time boxed, so we time box everything. Unlike estimations, which is traditionally happening, we're time boxing each of these artifacts so that we can be within review and then repeat as required. What is the actual work that's being done? It's literally anything that, anything that you can think of that we'd throw into that UCD bucket, but never more than is required to move forward. So you might say, fuck, it'd be really awesome to have this really cool prototype so that we can test that, but if a flow, if a really basic sketch flow was enough to generate the buy-in from that particular business unit, that's what we do for right now, and then the sprint team can worry about building and building and building. Um, as, I, as I touched on and keep bringing this up, is that it also includes any, um, any specific research or um, testing we do, whether that be at the airport in our case or user testing or whatever it is. Um, if, that, if the deliverable itself is a report or a piece of research, then that also is considered a spike for our purposes, which gives it a really nice um, framework for conducting these kinds of works. Once you've actually worked on the spikes and you've got an outcome, then we start delivering those, hopefully, into tickets in stream. If they're all ready and we, we review these artefacts as a team and they're ready, then a spike should allow that to have a clear concept, solution or approach so that the tickets can be adequately worked on by the team with uh, reducing the unknowns as much as possible. So really all you're doing is saying, taking that, taking that piece of thing, 
working on it, providing that solution or approach so it can be worked on in Sprint straight away. However, you don't usually get acceptance on or approval on all things straight away. That's an absolutely fine part of the process. You take whatever is remaining and you proceed with the workable tickets and you keep iterating on any unanswered aspects of that spike and continue until you've either been able to adequately answer those questions or the remaining parts are either deprioritised or um, decide or deprecate it entirely. You might find that one aspect of it isn't worth the effort anymore. Great. You know it's not worth doing. So how, did that, how does this process help us? Well, in the case of non-agile teams, for these people it was a really clear way of being able to influence the, black, the backlog and the direction of these products, which was something that was missing. Uh, that was, sure, unofficially there, but this was now that you had a tangible place to be able to do this. It reduced that shock on delivery aspect that can take place in sprint reviews and things like that. It provided a much more clear um, place for that to be able to happen. It allowed us to create a lot more ownership amongst these other, business, uh, other parts of the business that aren't used to working that way. Um, it required no time on their part to learn new processes. It was completely guided by us. They didn't need to know anything except their domain knowledge, all the stuff they already knew. And it also had the added benefit, which was really nice, of reducing that mysticism around how Agile teams work. It allowed them to get a little bit closer to it and work without actually bringing them into the team and having any formal responsibilities, because the formal responsibilities were already handed by the, the Spike or the Sprint team. In terms of the Agile team, this gave us the opportunity to have a place where we could ha keep having a big picture view without having to stop the Sprint. One of the big differences between our Sprint and the sort of formalised Sprint that you'll probably find out on... Google is that um, those spikes actually stop. They go in between sprints, and ours are happening over the top, which was a really important part of the process. We're not stopping value being delivered by the sprint team. Um, it really helped with um, having our tickets being in sprint estimated far more accurately. Um, it significantly reduced the, the amount of unknowns that were being discovered by the UX and UI and, and certainly the dev teams during the sprints. It helped decrease a lot of the volatility around um, reporting timing of deliverables to other parts of the businesses. Um, it allowed for far more empathy on the greater team about why and how a, a feature, what the value is of that feature, either to the user or the business. And it um, really, really importantly is, um, as I'm sure most of you are dealing with, is that providing reasoning behind uh, or a place for user testing to happen because you, you get into a sprint planning session, you're like, okay, well, in order to do this, we really want to test this new feature. That user testing session is going to take two days out of this week to do all the work. It's going to take a day to do the report, and then we're going to have to go through the time. That's, that's time that's taken out of velocity, right? It's, it's hard to have that conversation with your PO. It's hard for that PO to then go back to the business and say, we're delivering 30, 30 points less this week. I'm making numbers up here. We're delivering 30 points less this week because we have to do some testing. We know the value of that, but actually articulating that and actually being able to defend that value being lost, that delivery of value being lost, it's a hard conversation for people who are four, four degrees of separation out of your sprint team. So looking back, what have we learnt? We've been having this process in place across all these teams for about 12 to 18 months. Simply the act of defining what was spike work and what was not spike work had a really positive impact being able to say that work should be, shouldn't be done there, but that work should be done here. Before it was like, well, we shouldn't be doing that work in sprint, but there's nowhere else to bloody do it, so we're just going to force it in, and it wasn't working well. It's working a lot better now. It's critical to have a framework for these larger design pieces which don't really fit neatly into a sprint period. 
And this allowed us to do this, especially um, when we're dealing with multiple touch points. We're not dealing with just the website or just the app. We're dealing with multiple different digital products. So we're able to take a step back and have that framework for doing these really large design pieces, especially when they might impact multiple things. It really improved our ability, our ability to be able to engage with these stakeholders and bring them, as cl bring them closer to the project for periods of time and really get some understanding from them both ways. And finally, it's now really considered a core part of how we do Agile. Thank you. Thank you very much. So again, grab Dave at breaks to follow up more on that very practical talk. Thanks. And now again, we'll do, you know, speaker switcheroo. Thank you. 